This week, I, I really want to engage you in a little bit of reflection. It's no bad thing to do at the beginning of a new year, but it will also help, I think, lay the, the groundwork for a series that we're going to look to run from next week called Rebuilding, thinking about what it means to start piecing together our lives, if that's not too overblown statement, but sort of rebuilding our lives after the year that was 2020. But there are a couple of questions that ultimately I'm going to ask you to think about at the end of what I've said um, and, and I'll put those out there now. The first is, what did you learn from 2020? And I mean that not so much as whether you learned to, to hold a Zoom call, but more what did you learn about yourself and your walk with God? What what things, perhaps new things, did you uncover about yourself as a, as a result of the slightly, slightly unusual circumstances of 2020? Supplementary to that question, which is, uh, is another one that just helps sort of to tease tease things out a little bit more. When life was turned upside down because of COVID and things were beginning to change, what did you think would change about your life and the way you'd operate and the way you would engage with God? But it actually, it didn't change. And, and can you identify perhaps the reasons why it didn't change? So for me, I remember that when my work patterns shifted and particularly um, I wasn't being pulled into so many meetings. I thought, wow, a bit of idealism crept in here. But I thought, wow, I've got loads of time to spend reading the Bible and praying and reading Christian books. And some of that happens, but nowhere near like I imagined in my head. So I just want you to, to reflect on some of that. And, I, and I'll put those two questions up at the end so you don't need to remember them now. But just so you don't feel like that, that reflective Thing is happening in a vacuum. I want to take you right back to where we started 2020. And we began the year with this theme of the pursuit of God. Do you remember that? We, we talked about revival and the significance of prayer underpinning revival and all those good things. Now, I've been reflecting on that and thinking about, okay, so where are we 12 months or so later? Has, has anything changed? Is that still a personal message? Of course, obviously, the pursuit of God is always a good thing. But how long can we keep just saying, OK, we're going to not really have a specific vision. We're just going to keep praying until we hear from God. Am I bored with that notion? Am I uncomfortable with just holding us in that place? Do we ever move on from that? And so all those questions were swimming around in my head. Uh, and hence sort of prompted two questions that I want you to consider. But it also made me pause for thought and, and think about the dilemma that I, that we confront when it comes to transformation. I, I've been around the Christian block long enough now to know that actually, when I boil it down, I've only got two problems. I know some of you got lots. I've only got two. One of them is this, that I do the things that I don't want to do. And the other one is that I don't do the things that I do want to do. Anyone else struggle with that little dilemma? I say, don't eat that, then I eat it. Don't drink that, and then I drink it. Don't look at that site. Don't wimp out. Don't procrastinate. Don't brag. Don't envy. Don't yell at the kids. Don't say, you look just like your mother. And then those words come out of my mouth. The Apostle Paul captures this dilemma in Romans. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
That's from the Apostle Paul, the bloke who wrote large chunks of our New Testament. Um, but he, he's touching on the reality, the often painful reality of the human condition. We want to do what is good, and, and we genuinely mean that. But there's another part of us that is prepared to do what is wrong if we feel like we have to do it to get what we want. And, and most times our response to this dilemma, to this conundrum of the human condition is, you know what? The response is, just try a little bit harder. Muscle on through. Try harder to be like Jesus. Try harder to be like God. Or sometimes a kind of a more secular version, just try harder to become a better person. Which can take us through this interesting cycle of, of trying harder and doing well for a while. And then we have a fall from grace. And then either we dust ourselves off and pick ourselves up again and then rejoin the cycle. Um, and it happens again. And if that begins to happen enough times over the same issue or over an issue that's particularly or feels particularly acute, then it can lead to despair. And the reality is that every one of us has a, has a heart that is a little idol factory. And what we may call addictions in our day, in the biblical times, were generally called idolatries. And every one of us has this capacity to get attached to the wrong sort of stuff, the non-godly stuff, if you like. But any addiction program, whether it's AA or otherwise, they will tell you that you will come to a place that where, sorry, where trying harder just ain't going to get it done. And so hopefully as Christians, we come to this realization that I can't, but God can, God can. But the challenge doesn't quite end there. We think, okay, God can, so I'll let him. We make a decision to turn our will, to turn our lives over to the care of God. But of course, our egos kick against that, and they'll give us lots of reasons why we shouldn't do this. You know, the, the thinking goes on, you might miss out on what you really want, whether it's your money or sex or pleasure or the reputation, whatever you have to have. Or we get this slightly warped imagination of where God might take us if we fully surrender to him. If I did that, if I surrendered to God, he'll probably make me a monk or a nun or a missionary or a vicar. I mean, imagine something as awful as that. Or it's simply a case of, oh, I'll be unable to think for myself anymore. I'm going to live in this sort of chronic, deprived state of the stuff that I really want, but I know is not perhaps quite right for me. That's what our ego begins to feed us, the sort of messages that it looks to put into our thought processes. But the reality is, God's reality is, is actually it should work the other way around. If I'm dependent on God, then I'm no longer dependent on money for my security. I'm not dependent on my sense of attractiveness for my worth. I'm not dependent on my circumstances for peace. I'm not dependent on my children's lives and my well-being. The more I depend on God, the more depend independent I actually become in real life. The more I depend on God, the more independent in real life I actually become. Now, that's the theory, at least. But if we press it just a little further, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is talking about this whole idea, this whole notion of surrender and surrender to God. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, sometimes... 
we focus a little bit too heavily on the, oh, taking up the cross, what does that look like? And we overlook the little word daily. And we can slip into thinking of surrender as a, as a once for all deal. And yeah, of course, there has to be the once moment. You don't just drift into it. You have to put down a marker with God. But then it's an all of the time process. It's an everyday thing. That's partly why last week I asked you to, to think about, okay, what might tier four living look like? And encourage you to consider what rhythms might I put in place to sustain me through the, the coming months, the January, February, dark months of the year. And the reason why is it's the same old battle rages on inside of us, even when we've laid down that marker with God. Because I turn over my will to God and then I take it right back. I turn it over, I say, here you are, God. And then I wrestle it right back from him. Because up here in my noggin, I think that I've surrendered. And then real life exposes the reality that actually perhaps I haven't done that quite as much as I thought Let's take a simple scenario. Imagine for a moment that you're having a quiet time. You're enjoying some space alone. Uh, you're having a good chat with God and you're practicing the good prayer of surrender. God, have it all. Take my life, my money, my energy, my family, my will, my relationships, my time. I give it all over to you. I surrender it all. Your will be done. And somewhere in there, you're actually quite moved by how devout your surrender is. And, and just as you're basking in that intimate moment with God, you hear a call from another room and your spouse says, honey, would you please clean the garage like you said you were going to do? No, stop interrupting me. I've surrendered everything to Jesus and you're getting in the way. God said us, I said to God, your will be done, not her will be done. You see, I think I've surrendered my time until somebody wants it. I think I've surrendered my money until somebody needs it. I think I've surrendered my circumstances until they don't suit me. I think I've surrendered my will until it gets crossed. We are never done learning the practice of surrender. But the beauty of that sort of prayer of surrender and why it's so foundational is that you can pray it daily and you can pray it all day long. And it will never cease to energize you because essentially it is a cry to God and to his spirit. It will never cease to fill you up again. It's, I guess the closest similarity I can think of is like breathing. We need to do it all the time to keep going. In, out. Holy Spirit in, my twisted, messed up desires out. Love in, fear out and so on, in, out. It's the reality of discipleship and following Jesus. And that's why, if, I, if I'm doing that rightly, with that sort of motivation and that sort of dependency as a first step, it can never lead to the sort of elderly brother pride that we see in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, that looking down in judgment, because it's about always, always acknowledging our dependency. We recognise this daily need to drink from the well of grace in order for our, our spiritual condition to be maintained, let alone developed and improved. How, God, can I best serve you today? Thy will, not mine, be done. And that is the context I just want to put out there for you when you consider these two questions that I talked about at the beginning. 
because that context will help you not to either be saddled with guilt or saddled with pride. So I want you to press pause and consider those two questions. They're going to come up on the screen. Um, and think about them for five minutes, preferably longer, but at least five minutes. Uh, and jot, jot stuff down if that's helpful, or find somebody to talk about it with um, and, and knock it around. But what did you learn from 2020? And most of all, in the spiritual realm. And what did you think would change but didn't?